I will entitle this message The Genesis Factor And there are seven points that I will cover this morning There is the summary of last week To summarize what I covered last week Second point I will cover on the creation of man Thirdly on the fall of man Fourthly on the serpent or the Satan's nature Fifthly on the importance of words Sixthly on the law of faith And lastly on the application of confession Let me go through the summary You know many gundus, I'm sorry Gurus (laughs) Many gurus Philosophers and wise men had tried many, many countless times to answer an age-old question. Who is God? And what is God like? They present the truth to the people, but that was only a truth. It's not the truth. It is deception. And they point, for example, to one of the seven wonders of the world, they point to the ancient city, to a great colossus bronze statue in the island of Rhodesh. The statue that is over 100 feet, over 30 meters tall, towering over the harbor of Rhodesh. The statue that worshipped the sun god Helios. They say, that is God. God says, oh yeah? And God sent an earthquake and it was kaput. And later on, way back in the Far East, in the Oriental country in Japan, they raised up another bronze statue this time. and said, that is God. They raised up a statue that is 50 meters high, over 49 feet. One of the biggest Buddha bronze statue in Japan. Built in an ancient city called Kamakura in 12552. And they built that great huge Buddha and it says this is God but according to Christianity which we are talking based on the, in the light of Christianity that is man's idea of God but to us Christian this morning God anointed another man to be spokesman to tell them who is God and what is God like and he anointed a man called John, meaning Jehovah favored, the favor of God upon a man called John. This man came upon the face of this earth, he walked and he pondered many days, and at the end of his life, he wrote these words in the epistle of 1 John, chapter 1, verse 1. And he says this That which was from the beginning. That which was from the beginning. That's the very first words that Apostle John wrote. That which was from the beginning. The Living Bible says Jesus was alive when the world began to function. And that reminds us of John chapter 1 verse 1. In the beginning was God. Amen. The Word was God. The Word was with God. And the Word itself was God. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have touched and handled the word of life. For the life was manifest, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life, that which was with the Father, and was manifest unto us. John say, 
These are beautiful representations, but it's not enough. The truth, the highest truth is God is the living word. The living word is God. That was the testimony of John to the world. Who is God and what was God like? In fact, he wrote in the book of John, chapter 1, verse 1, he says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things, all things, not some things, all things were made by the Word, and without the Word was not anything made that was made. In the Word was life, and the life Life was the light of men. The Word made everything. That is the explanation of Christianity to the world. The Word of the living God. This Word here is thus say of the Lord. It represents the heart, the mind, and the counsel of God. So when you abide by these words, you are giving obedience and your allegiance to the living God. Amen. Before time came, before time was ever created, the Word was already in existence. In the beginning was the Word. Before the time dimension was formed, there was only one dimension. There was the Word dimension. The Word dimension is the timelessness dimension. That's why it's called the eternal Word that abides and lives forever. You know, words have played a very vital role in life since the beginning of creation. God used words to create the earth and the heavens. He didn't come along and sprinkle some magic dust, use a magic wand, say a particular chant, abracadabra, and tap upon something and there you have the earth. He touch another thing, there's the fish and no. God spoke God spoke the world into existence as evident in the first chapter of Genesis God spoke and something was created God spoke who, who is that God spoke well in Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 he says this in the beginning aha uh-huh, if you apply based on John chapter 1 verse 1 we have this in the beginning the word created the heaven and the earth and verse 3, And the Word said, Let there be light. And there was light. It was the Word in the beginning. Amen. He says, Let there be light. And there was light. But in the literal Hebrew, it means this. Like be, and like was. He just spoke two words. Like be, and there was. Fish be, and there was fish. Trees be, and there was trees. Mountains be, and there was mountains. That's the power of God's Word. God has never done anything without saying it first. That is the law of Genesis. God's faith filled words was the original force in the universe. When there was nothing, not even time and space yet, God spoke the word. When God spoke the word, God's faith filled words was the original force that was expanding into this horizon of nothingness and create something. The original creative force was hovering over this this a dimension called nothingness and created a time dimension and a space dimension. And the word expand and create all these things. The energy of God was zoom into the, the eons of time and created energy, atoms, and all those things that you see around you. At creation, 
God set into motion what I call the law of Genesis. That everything will produce after its own kind. And we studied last week. That's called the principle of the seed life. Or we call it the law of Genesis. Why is it called the principle of seed? Because the law of Genesis is patterned after the word. Because the word in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23 says, The word of God, which is the incorruptible word, which is the seed of God, abides and lives forever. This morning I declare to you, the principle of the law of Genesis is based on the word of God. Because the word of God is a seed planted into your heart that produced the miracle of salvation, planted into your heart that produced the miracle of healing, planted into your heart that produced the miracle of prosperity. The word is powerful. Amen. Just two words. Like be and there was. That's how, that's the power of God's word. In Hebrews chapter 11 verse 3, he says, Through faith, we understand that the whole world was framed by the word of God. The word frame comes from the word Greek word, katatizio. And it means this, to be completely, thoroughly in a state of perfection, whether it is for repair, mending, restoration or furnishing. Completely furnishing, thoroughly restored everything. It didn't say some things was restored by the word, but it says katatizio. It means everything completely and thoroughly restored into a state of perfection. God's word brings complete restoration to your life. God's word brings complete repair into your life. God's word brings complete equipping in your life. Whatever you need, whatever you need, restoration, whatever you need to be furnished with the thing that you lack in your life. God's word is the one that's going to bring it to pass. If you believe it. Amen. That's a summary of the the last week's lesson on the power of God's word. Let's come to the creation of man. When God created the human race, He placed in us the special ability to choose our own words and to speak them forth at our will. Man's free choice is his ability or his will to choose his words. The ability to express his free will lies in his tongue, manifest through words. The ability to speak at its own will is to act like God. There's no other creation that can speak and can use your own choice words. Angel can talk, but angel only talk, only speak what the Lord commands. But only man can speak what he wants to say. And therefore, he's like God. He has the ability to speak forth words Enforcing the law of Genesis to come to pass, to bring things to pass. You see, is it that so? Yes, when God gave the power to Adam, He says, He shall subdue and conquer the earth. How is He going to conquer and subdue that huge dinosaur or the elephant or the lion? How? He says, Sit down, and the lion must sit down. Sleep, and the elephant must sleep, because it's based on the power of His words. But then something happened to that power, to that authority that God gave, that dominion power that God gave to Adam. It was lost through the fall of men. Because one day, Satan came into the Garden of Eden in the form of a serpent or snake to destroy men. You know the word serpent in Genesis chapter 3 verse 1, 
in the original Hebrew, it means poisoner. You know poison? Poisoner. The poisoner came into the Garden of Eden. But Adam cannot discern it because it comes in the form of a snake. This word serpent is similar to the Chaldean meaning of copper and brass which typify curse. So a curse came into the garden and Adam knew not. And that word with the, word, with the connotation of color of bronze and a copper, it tallies with the, the word in Numbers chapter 21 verse 8 says that brazen serpent and the word serpent there is safra. S-A-R-A-P-H It means poisonous snake. In other words, when Adam, man, was enjoying the power of his words that speak like God, that cause things to obey and cause things to be created through the power of his word, something came in and poisoned his tongue. That snake came in. That snake came in. And he approached Eve. Adam was standing nearby. He approached Eve and he said, Genesis chapter 3 verse 1 and verse 2 Has God indeed said You shall not eat from every tree of the garden? Then Eve began to ponder No, then we can reply back That's a mistake, don't ever talk back to the devil Eve talked back to that serpent And verse 4 You will not surely die For God knows that in the day you eat, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Isn't that sound familiar? Like that old Walt Disney cartoon, an old witch gave a poison apple to Snow White to eat. Oh, are you wear white now today? <laughs> Almost white. <laughs> Snow White to eat, amen? Poison. And that succeeded in poisoning Adam's tongue. Because he ate of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. In the Amplified, it says that is a tree of blessing and calamity. You ate blessing and calamity into your tongue. Blessing came into his tongue and touched his tongue, his tongue butt. But it also, calamity touched his tongue butt. What is calamity? Calamity means hurt, harm, trouble, or something that is absence of blessing. And that day, curse touched Adam's tongue for the first time. And from that day onwards, Adam began to speak blessings. But he also can speak curses. He lose the control of his tongue. He lose the free choice in manipulating his tongue for the glory of God. So why, why did the serpent came in? You un- if you understand why the serpent came in that day, you understand why the serpent is coming into your life. Why Satan is coming into your life for only one reason. And Jesus Christ mentioned that in John chapter 10 verse 10. He says the thief came but to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. The word thief in the Greek means a stealer. To steal means to secure illegally by secrecy or by surprise or unawareness without being noticed. And that's what the thief came in. Without being noticed, Adam cannot discern that was an evil spirit. He came in the form of a disguise of a snake. So Adam do not know. He comes in subtly, unaware. The word thief in the Greek also means flinch. F-I-L-C-H means pifa or puffer. P-I-L-F-E-R means to steal in small amount. 
He come in to steal something, just one little thing from Adam's life. And that's God's word. Had God said, you cannot eat from every tree in the garden? So how does this thief come to steal, to kill and destroy? And what is the purpose of this thief or this snake? The clue is found in the word destroy. The thief comes to steal, kill and destroy. The word destroy in the Greek, the active part of this verb, is to destroy fully, to bring death. Now you understand. Devil's mission on this earth is to bring death into your life. Bring death into your health. Bring death into your finance. Bring death into every area of life. And he succeeded in bringing death in Adam's tongue. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. This word destroy is connected with another word in Revelation chapter 9 verse 11. Destroyer. The Satan's name, another name of Satan in the Greek is destroyer. Which is the active form of the word destroy. The word destroyer in the Greek, which is written in Revelation 9-11 is Apoyon. A-P-O-L-Y-O-N. Apoyon in the Greek means this. A runa. You rune something. Specifically, it means a venomous serpent. A venomous serpent. If you study in the concordance, that means that destroyer is actually a poisonous snake. That means the thief came to steal and destroy is a snake. That thief comes in like a snake, but it's a poisonous snake. To what? To destroy. So how does this snake, this thief, how do you receive this satanic attack? The same way he did in the Garden of Eden. His plan has never changed. He will come to you and speak to you. Had God said, had the pastor really said that, do you think the leader really mean that? Do you think the word really mean that? Of course not. Don't take it too seriously. Quit. You're too fanatical. Those are the words of the... If you open up all those words of unbelief, doubt, fear, crack open the nuts of that word, you'll hear a sound. Inside. Amen. So don't. Amen. Kill it. Kill all those words that come from the serpent. The serpent will destroy you. Amen. So every time you hear something that causes you to contradict or causes you to doubt God's word, that comes from a pulpit or comes from the word of God in your Bible devotion, you know it comes from the... and catch it and kill it. Amen? Now, with that in mind, we know that is the role of the serpent. He comes to destroy the power that you have within you, the power of your tongue to speak right words, the power to activate the law of Genesis. Ever since then, the serpent has always come in and say, Don't try so hard on your confession. Do you really think it will work? How many friends have confessed that and it works? You see? It brings discouragement so that you don't utilize the power of the tongue. Amen? Don't ever listen to the devil. Amen? Now, many years ago, there was a great man of God whom you and I is very familiar as an old man of age 80, one day, there was, when he was sleeping, there was a call calling him. Come up to my mountain. Come up to my mountain. Then he woke up. Who is talking to me? He go back to sleep again. The next night, he began to dream again. He think on God and suddenly hear a voice. Come up to my mountain. 
come up to my mountain. And he woke up again. He said, that's a, it's an awesome voice. It caused a tremendous shaking in my whole body. It feels like the anointing. I think this must be from God. And the third night, he kneeled down and he told God, God, whoever you are, if you are the one that speaks to me in my dream, give me instruction that I may come to you. And he prayed this in the name of Jehovah. And he went to sleep. On the third night when he was sleeping, there was no ceasing sound. It was the sound again of the Almighty God. Come up to me, to my mountain. It's just in front of you. And don't bring anyone with you. Come alone, because I am that I am is about to talk to you. And Moses wake up that morning and told his wife, told his servants, and says, God has spoken to me, and I have to leave. I'm entrusting all my wealth and all that I have into your hands. Protect my wife, guard my property. I'm going, I don't know when I come back. So be faithful. When I come back, I'll promote you. And Moses left with a stick in his hand. And he saw the mountain for the first time in full clarity. This time is something different. On top of the mountain, there's a great, huge cloud. So bright and so glaring. And there was thunder rolling in the mountain. He walked up. Walked up step by step. By evening, he had not reached the mountain. He came overnight, and the next day he walked again. When he reached the mountain, a, a kind of fear began to grip his heart. But God says, do not be afraid. This is holy ground. Take off your shoe and come towards me. I want to talk to you. And he went in into the great cloud, into the glory cloud. And God began to speak to him. And do you know what was Moses' first revelation? You see, Moses was the author of five books in the book. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Many scholars are still under debate that the book of Job is written by Moses. But anyway, the Bible says in 2 Timothy, Chapter 3, verse 16, all scriptures is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. But we believe that either this is the word of God, then we take it as it is from God. And according to that revelation in the book of Job, Job chapter 6, verse 25, it is a revelation of the law of Genesis that is a companion verse of inspiration to the book of Genesis. So let's go to that book now. And that verse is in Job. He pen it down. Chapter 6, verse 25. Let's learn, read in Job, chapter 6, verse 25. Before Psalms is the book of Job. Chapter 6, verse 25. In Job chapter 6, verse 25, God's revelation to Moses was this. How forceful are right words. In the New American Standard Version and the NIV Version, it's not accurate enough. He says, how painful are right words. The accurate translation should be, how forceful are right words. He says, how do you know? Because I check it out. In a literal sense, 
this statement, how forceful are right words, is this. He says, can you imagine the tremendous strength of influence of right words? You've got to put it in modern terms. Can you imagine the tremendous strength of influence of right words? Right words has a tremendous influence on your life and on your circumstances. Right words. In the King James, he says, how forcible, forcible or forceful comes from a Hebrew word that has two meanings. Two meanings. And the New American Standard and the NIV only took one of the meanings. And it's wrong. There are two meanings to it. The first meaning, if you check it out in the concordance, you'll find these two words there. Pungent. P-U-N-G-E-N-T. Pungent means this. A stinging, like a sting of a cobra, or scorpion, stinging, biting, caustic, burning, corrosive effect. It means it is to inflict pain and may result eventually in death. That's the first meaning. But there's also another meaning. There's the word vehement. V-E-H-E-M-E-N-T. Vehement means great vigor and strength. It has an image of life. So the first word, pungent, has the meaning of death. The second meaning is vehement, has the picture of life. In other words, how forceful are right words? What God is trying to communicate to man is this. Words can either bring pain and suffering or death into your life, or words can bring vitality, strength, and life into you. No wonder the book of Proverbs is true. In Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21, which we covered last week, death and life are in the power of your tongue. The pathway to life or the doorway to death lies in the careful selection of words. So that's the word forceful. How about the word right? The word right in the Hebrew means various meanings. Righteous, honest, pleasant, prosperous. I put it in a literal sense, it means this. Right words are words that are godly, honest, soothing, renew of good words that carry an image of blessings and success. But today, let me tell you what are right words. Because when you understand what is right words, the right words will bring a tremendous strength of influence into your life. A divine influence. Or we call it, according to the uh, Wu's translation, it says that it's the divine influence or the grace of God actively working your life. Let's read Proverbs chapter 8 to find out the meaning of right words. Proverbs chapter 8. Proverbs chapter 8. Verse 6 to 8. This is the wisdom speaking. Wisdom speaking. The words of my mouth are in righteousness. There is nothing forward or perverse in them. They are, pl- they are all plain to, them, to him that understand and write to them that find knowledge. Receive my instruction and not my silver, and knowledge rather than choice gold. Alright? So all these are written there in Proverbs chapter 8. And you notice in verse 6, Hear, for I will speak of excellent things. The opening of my lips shall be right things. The opening of my lips shall be right words. Therefore, right words are words of wisdom. In other words, God's words are right words. 
So you put it this way. How forceful are the words of God. When you begin to speak the word of God, there will be a force release to bless your life. Amen? So that was the revelation of Moses. But there was also a warning. Although there is a blessing involved, there is also a warning that we have to use it carefully. Alright? And that's found in Proverbs chapter 4. Let's turn to Proverbs chapter 4, verse 24. Put away from thee a forward mouth and perverse lips. Put far, put, not, don't put near, put far, far away from thee. Put as far as the North Pole. Put as far as in Alaska. Put as far as in Siberia. Put as far as in Mongolia. Put as far away from you. He says, put away a forward mouth and a perverse lips. This is the warning. So that you don't speak death into your own life. So what is a forward mouth? The word forward in the Hebrew means to distort, crooked, falsehood, he has an image of somebody tying a knot on a rope. If you tie a knot, too many knots on a rope, that is called forward. A picture of a word forward image. That means there's a lot of knots in your conversation. You distort that straight rope. You distort it, you curl it around, you put a knot on it, and it's not straight. A lot of obstacle. That's the word forward. How about perverse lips? Perverse in the Hebrew means obstinate, stubborn in words. You always want to say the, the things that you want to say, to complain, to murmur, corrupt talk. If I put it together in a paraphrase form, it will be this. An uncontrollable mouth, one that talks what it wants to talk, regardless of what God's word say. That is a forward mouth and a perverse lips. If you say what you want to say, based on your feelings and not based on what you believe, you have a forward mouth and a perverse lips and it... The law of Genesis will not prosper in your life. But why you want to say what I want to say? Why? What will happen to me? Well, you want to know what happened to you? Turn to Proverbs 15 verse 4. Proverbs 15 verse 4. And he says this, A wholesome tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness therein is a breach or a break in the spirit. NIV say it will crush the spirit. You speak the wrong words. It will affect your spirit man. Words are key to the door of your heart. You speak wrong things over and over again. You are putting rubbish, corruption into your spirit that is pure and holy before God. Amen. So don't speak the wrong things that affect your spirit man and cause the spirit man to lack the strength of God. Amen. That is a uh, tiny application that you have to. Now, with that in mind, all this, now we come to the main, tech, main uh, body of the message that I want to communicate across to you this morning. Firstly, let's find out how the law of faith, or we call the law of possibility, is linked to words and confession of God's word. If you understand this, then you understand how to apply the law of Genesis because the law of Genesis is linked to the law of faith. So what is the law of faith? One portion, active portion of the law of faith is the law of confession. 
So we must understand it. To, for that, we have to turn to the classic text in Mark chapter 11, verse 23. In the book of Mark chapter 11, verse 23, it says this, For verily, truly, I guarantee with my life, I say unto you, that whosoever, that's you and me, anyone, Say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he say shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he say. The last clause of that verse. He shall have whatsoever he say. You shall have soever. Those words that you say, those words that are spoken out of your mouth, you shall have it. In other words, there is a divine law based on God's word. And it's simply this. What you say is what you get. Get it? What you say is what you get. Your words will determine what you receive in this life. Death or life. Blessings or curses. You can understand a simple truth. It will change your life. One day, a man of God was, Don Gossett was interviewing T.L. Osborne. He asked T.L. Osborne, he said, What is the secret of the great ministry? And T.L. Osborne replied, My friend, the secret to my ministry is in the foundation of the confession of God's word. Why? Many people fail and they criticize this law of faith. They criticize and chuck aside that confession principle. And today I want to remedy that statement that sometimes you may speak out from your mouth and may you repent from it because this is the word of God. What you say is what you get. Pastor, would you prove it to me this morning? Well, I'll prove it to you this morning through an incident that happened in the life of Israel. A historical incident. Let's turn to the book of Exodus chapter 14. Exodus chapter 14. Exodus chapter 14. Verse 11 and 12. The children of Israel said unto Moses, Because there were no grave in Egypt, hast thou taken us away to die in the wilderness? Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Has thou taken us away to die in the wilderness? You want us to mati? Wherefore has thou dealt thus with us to carry us forth out of Egypt? Is not this word, the word that you, we did tell thee in Egypt, saying, Let us alone that we may serve the Egyptian? For it had been better for us to serve the Egyptian than we should die in the wilderness. Let's look at Genesis, Exodus chapter 15 verse 24. The next chapter. And the people murmured against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? Now, we do not understand the whole context of that conversation. But if you look with me in chapter 16 onwards, you understand what he says in chapter 15, verse 24. Chapter 16, verse 2 and 3. And the whole congregation of the children of Israel murmured. Aha, the word murmured there. So what do they murmur? Give you an example. Murmur against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the children of Israel said unto them, Would to God that we had died. Aha, you know what they murmur? They murmur, let us die, let us die. We had died by the hands of the Lord in the land of Egypt. 
where we sat by the flesh pots and we did eat bread to the full. For you have brought us forth into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Look at chapter 17, verse 3. And the people thirsted there for water, and the people murmured against Moses and said, Wherefore is this that you have brought us out of Egypt to kill us and all our children and our cattle with thirst? There's another verse that you can go back and read about it in Numbers chapter 14, verse 2 and 3. The same thing. You want us to go and take the Canaan land full of giants? You want, to, you want us to perish? Death and life are in the power of tongue. And because God says, because you spoke it continuously out of your mouth, I'll tell you right now, all those that are above 20 and above will die in the wilderness. Because what you say is what you get. Now you know why they die in the wilderness. Because they violate the law of Genesis. They spoke it out of their mouth. And God says, because this is what you want, I give it to you. Is that so? Yes. Any scripture? Yes. Proverbs chapter 12. Because I, I want to bring it in a convincing manner that confession of God's word is very vital and important to our Christian walk. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 14. A man shall be satisfied with good, not with curses, not with sickness, a man shall be satisfied with good by the fruit of his mouth, and the recompense of a man's hand shall be rendered unto him. How to the recompense of a man's hand shall be rendered unto him? How can you work something and you get a reward? By the power of your tongue. You say, whatever my hand touch will prosper. That's how you get it. Because he said, colon. After he says that a man shall be satisfied good by the fruit of his mouth, colon, he goes on to say, how do you get good into your life? By speaking blessing to your work, speaking blessing to your studies, speaking blessing to your career. Amen? That's how you get the blessings. Look at chapter 13, verse 2. 13, verse 2. A man shall eat good. Not only you say it, but you will eat the good by the fruit of his mouth. Whatever you say, you will eat it. One of these days, you will eat what you say. Right? So don't say the wrong things. In Proverbs 18, verse 20. It's our main verse that you must understand this morning. Last week we covered verse 21, but this morning we covered verse 20. A man's belly shall be satisfied with the fruit of his mouth, and with the increase of his lips shall he be filled. I repeat again, read it carefully. A man's belly shall, dis- shall be satisfied with the fruit, with the fruit of his mouth, and with the increase, with the increase of his lips shall he be filled. Your words is the horoscope of your future. What you say now will determine where you are in the future. Your words will bring you either to life or your words will bring you to death. So your words is very important. It has a a direct bearing on your destiny in your future. Now, so now we understand words is linked to the law of confession. But words is also linked, secondly, to your heart. Point to your left part of your chest and say, to my heart. Okay, the innermost being or your spirit man. Alright, that's the heart. For that, we turn to the scripture in Matthew chapter 12. He said, why must, I, why must I be taught so much this morning? Because I want to give you the mechanics of how to apply it properly. Matthew chapter 12. When you apply the principle correctly, you have the Bible kind of results. 
Proverbs, Matthew chapter 12, beginning from verse 34 to verse 37. Oh, generation of vipers! Oh, that again is there. How you being evil? Yeah, the devil is evil. Speak good things. Yeah, the evil, the evil one cannot speak good things. Amen. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speak. A good man out of the good treasure of the heart bring forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure bring forth evil things. But I say unto you that every idle word that man shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. Woo! For by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. Look at verse 34 again. For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speak. A good man out of the good treasure of the heart bring forth good treasure, and an evil man out of the evil treasure bring forth evil things. From that verse alone, who bring it out? Who bring out the treasure from the heart? Who bring it out? The man who speak. When you speak something, you bring something out of your heart. It's either good treasure or evil treasure. Either blessings or curses. Okay? Where does it get it out from? From your heart. How? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. That's how you bring it out. That's the process. Alright? Now, I'm going to make a few statements right now. Remember Proverbs 18.20? A man shall be satisfied with good by the fruit of his mouth and with the increase of his lips shall he be filled. Amen? What you receive in your heart will get into your mouth and what you have in your mouth will get into your heart. But it started off in your mouth. Because every word you say eventually will be connected to your heart. Will either build up a good treasure in your heart or will build up and store up evil treasure. The choice is your words. Alright? The choice is your words. It started off in your mouth. Okay, I repeat again. What you receive in your heart will get into your mouth and what you have in your mouth will get into your heart, vice versa. It starts in your mouth. Romans chapter 10. Turn with me to Romans chapter 10. Verse 8 to 10. You grab hold of this principle and it will bless your life tremendously. But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in your mouth and then in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. Romans chapter 10, verse 8 to 10. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and shalt believe in thy heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. With the heart men believe unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. You notice something there? Verse 8. The word is 90 even in thy mouth. It starts in your Firstly, in your mouth. Then what happened? The word, there's 90 even in your mouth, and then in your heart. From your mouth, it gets into your heart. And from your heart, verse 10, it gets back into your mouth. Because with the heart, man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. So it's a cycle. You say it with your mouth, it gets into your heart. And when your heart truly believes it, you say it, it gets back into your mouth. You see the cycle there? That is the law of Genesis. Amen? Now, with that in mind, I can go one step further. How the law of Genesis, words are linked to the law of faith, which is confession. It is also linked to your heart. Thirdly, it links to one vital point called image. 
What is an image? An image is a mental picture in your mind. Alright, that's an image. An image is a mental optical picture imprinted in the canvas of your heart. Or it's a mental photograph conceived in your imagination. Words paint pictures. Words produce images. If this morning I will tell you, close your eyes and imagine a red car. Then in the canvas of your imagination, there will be an image formed through my words that I spoke unto you. There will be an image of a red car. But the moment I add certain detail to it, I say a red Mercedes Benz 200 series. What happened? Your image to have more clear details and you will see, oh, a red Mercedes Benz. Oh, license plate. One nine 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 something like that. And then you say, oh, the moment you open your eyes, I can ask you to go out into the car park and you can locate and recognize that car immediately. Why? Because through my words, I have created an image in your mind. So images are created and perfect by words. Alright? So whatever words you speak, when you confess God's word, it produces an image in your life. Image of life, image of blessings, or image of curses or death. So what are the images in your mind? Depends on your words that you spoke daily to you, to yourself. Amen? So image. Now, with that in mind, I'm going to tell you why people fail in this law of confession. Why people criticize this message? Because they don't understand this law. We are not going very advanced yet. We are still in the foundation. To build the right foundation. Because in this law of confession, you have to go through the six steps or the six processes of confession before you reach that step that you can say, what I say is what I get. So let's go through the six process this morning. Remember Proverbs 18.20? The fruit of your mouth and the increase of your lips. You must keep continuing increasing speaking. Then you will be filled. Continue speaking further. You have a fruit and you eat the good of the fruit. Okay, the sixth process is this. Firstly, you speak what you believe and you will believe what you speak. The first time you speak what you believe, you believe what you speak. That is in your head knowledge. I call it information or you have just understand a theory. You have not gone deep yet. Head knowledge. Then you will go to the second stage. The more you believe, the more you say it. That is known as application. You have knowledge and you have understanding. Then the more you, you see, the second stage, the more you believe, the more you say it. But third stage, the more you say, the more you believe. That is based on diligence. When you are diligent in confessing, you will have what I call a conception. You are pregnant with an image, with a vision. Then, after the more you say, the more you believe, you go to the fourth stage. That is, the more you believe, out of the abundance of your heart, the mouth speaks. That is the fourth stage. In order to reach that stage, you need tremendous patience. That is what I call image development. From a blur to a clarity of vision. But that's not enough. You still have the two more stages. Because the fourth stage is out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. But the fifth stage is out of the abundance of the mouth, the heart believes even more. The fifth stage is what I call you enter into the prophetic dimension. Now you begin to see 
that clear image. There is a conviction of His reality that is so real. That image is so real to you. That you speak as if it is already in existence. But that's not enough. Because out of the abundance of the mouth, the heart believes. In more, you have to go to the final stage. That is, out of the great abundance of heart, the mouth declares. You reach the stage of perfect faith, perfect image, and perfect agreement of body, soul, and spirit. And when you speak, what you say is what you get. A lot of people fall short even in the second process and throw it away. I'm telling you, there's no shortcut to this principle of success. It takes tremendous dedication, diligence, and patience to get the fruit. A fruit is a seed you planted. It has to grow and let the tree mature to become a mature tree and have extra life to bring forth that fruit. It takes time. So there are six stages. First stage is speak what you believe and you believe what you speak. Second stage, the more you believe, the more you say. Thirdly, the more you say, the more you believe. Fourthly, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speak. And out of the abundance of the mouth, the heart believes even more. And out of the great abundance of the heart, the mouth declares. Only then, that statement is true. What you say is what you get. You know in Proverbs chapter 12 verse 18 there's a saying, The tongue of the wise is health. The tongue of the wise is healing. In us, health, healing is a product of words. He shall have whatsoever he say. If you say health, and you will have health. So, I remind you again, whatever you say, be word conscious from this day forth. Let me put to you right now, the literal translation Matthew chapter 12 verse 35 in the modern Singaporean context let's turn back to Matthew chapter 12 first Matthew chapter 12 Matthew chapter 12 verse 35 a good man out of the good treasure of the heart brings forth good things and an evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things let me give you a Jedi translation a redeemed man out of the deposit of words within his heart will accumulate interest and bring forth the profit what his heart has been exposed to either good or bad principal sum. You know banking principle? You put some your principal sum in and you collect interest and that's what you get. So a redeemed man out of the deposit of words within his heart will accumulate interest and bring forth the profit the good treasure is the profit which his heart has been exposed to either good or bad principal sum of money. Alright? Now with that in mind, let's look at the life of Abraham. In order to bring the promises to pass, God spoke 24 years ago to an old, old man. And it says, I'm going to give you a son. Do you believe me? Yes, I believe. And after 24 years, he says, God, I'm not so sure anymore. Alright, let me help you. And this time, God says, because you come to the end of yourself, I can give you this principle. A lot of you may apply this law of confession. It's to your own lust. You will never get it. Until you come to the end of yourself. After 24 years of self-effort, self-ambition, God says, you have nothing now. You are nothing. I can impart this secret to you. This Bible secret is for people who truly want to apply it for the glory of God and not to consume on your own lust. So after 24 years of failure, God says, now since you are a failure, you will not use it for your own gain, I give you the secret. In Genesis chapter 17, 
God spoke to him and said, I'm El Shaddai, Almighty God. I'm going to change your name. From this morning, this day, you're no call called Abraham. You shall call Abraham. A father of many nations. Not a father of multitude. A father of many nations. You'll be a father of many nations. Not only one child. You have many child. Many, you, you father many, many children. A father of many nations. So change your name. From that day onward, he, he called. <laughs> he said, no. My father called me Isaac. <laughs> he called all his maidservants and manservants. He called his wife. He called his uh, so-called second wife. Hey guy, come here. From this day, call me Abraham. Whoever don't call me Abraham, you get out of this house. <laughs> I disown you. Amen. So all he, he notified every, everyone from that day onwards, every morning, every evening, he go back to the tent from rearing his sheep and so on. Everyone will call him Abraham, Abraham, Abraham. And he heard it so many times. Faith come by hearing and hearing by the word of God. It, it comes and it comes. He keep hearing, keep hearing. Abraham, Abraham, hey, your father, many nations. Your father, you are father. You are not childless. Your father, your father. Yeah, I'm father, I'm father. I will have a, I will have a child, I will have a child. And then every time when he pray, God will speak to him. Abraham, Abraham, I'm telling you something. Yes, yes. God always call him Abraham, Abraham. And people talk to him in the natural realm. God talk in the spiritual realm. And what happened? An image was formed. Words produce an image. I will be a father. <laughs> I will have a son. <laughs> and what happened? He produced a miracle. The miracle started in his mouth. Through your mouth, a miracle will be born. The law of Genesis. And how this, this six steps that we have just covered, how it come to pass, it was actually covered in Romans chapter 4. Let's turn to Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4, we will cover the six steps that we have just mentioned just now. Romans chapter 4, verse 16 onwards. Therefore it is of faith, uh the law of Genesis, that it might be by grace to the end, the promise might be made sure to all the seed. Not not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is of faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Verse 17. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations, before him whom he believed, even God, who quicketh the dead and calleth those things which be not as though they were. Verse 18. Who against hope believe in hope, that he might become the father of many nations, according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. In verse 19. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead, when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. Verse 20. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. Verse 21. And being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able to perform. These are the six steps. The first step, speak what you believe, believe what you speak, is in verse 16. He says, you shall be called Abraham, the father of of many nations. So in verse 16, the name Abraham was mentioned. So it's okay, I'm called Abraham. I'm Abraham, father of many nations. Yes, I will be a father. Then verse 17 is the second stage. The more you believe, the more you say it. Because he says this, As it is written, I made thee a father of many nations, before whom he has believed even God, who quickened those things, and calling those things be not as though they were. He began to say more and more, because he believes now. Let's go to verse 18, which is the third stage now. The more you say, the more you believe. 
Verse 6, who against hope believe in hope. Aha. Uh-huh. Because he says so much, he now believes. Now goes on to the fourth stage. This is verse 20. That is the fourth stage. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speak. Being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body, which is about... Sorry, in verse um, 19, sorry. Verse 19. Being not weak in faith, but considered not his own body, now dead. Alright? Because why? Because now he believes. He says, no, I'm not weak. No, I'm not old enough. I'm, I'm still strong to produce a child with my companion Sarah. And then in the fifth stage is verse 20. Out of the abundance of the house, mouth, the heart, he believed even more. Verse 20. He staggered not at the promises of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. He now believed even more. But he comes to verse 21. Out of the great abundance of the heart, the mouth declare that being fully persuaded that what he was, had promised, he was able to perform. He says, My God is able. My God is able. My God is able. And he says, my God is able, and therefore, I am able, because I am His child. And we're going to speak and declare the promises of God to come to pass. You know, in Mark chapter 11, verse 23, I have to refer you back again. Mark chapter 11, verse 23. Remember this verse is a powerful verse. For very I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he say shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he say. You notice, in that verse, God mentioned only one time, believe. Shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe only once. But three times, the Holy Spirit mentioned the word, say. Saying is mentioned three times. He says, whosoever shall say unto this mountain, but shall believe that those things which he say shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he say. So one time he's mentioned belief, three times he's mentioned saying. Saying is of a higher priority than belief. Without saying, there no, can be no true believing. I repeat, you can believe with all your heart, but you don't activate the law of Genesis. Your belief is a mixture of doubt and faith. Right? You have to have saying to perfect the image so that you have perfect faith, perfect agreement. Amen? So three times saying. So saying is very important. You have to say. Saying will develop that attitude of faith. So you say it and say it and say it and that law of Genesis will apply and will be perfected in your life. You say, but whatever you have to believe, I don't want to say. I don't like this message. I just want to believe. I'm a very traditional, conservative Christian. I don't believe in this stuff. I only want to believe. I don't want to say. Can I? Can. Because Apostle James will rebuke you. Because Apostle James, in chapter 1, James chapter 1, verse 26, you hear this. If any man among you seems to be religious, to be spiritual, and bridle not his tongue, he will deceive his own heart. This man's religion is vain. If you believe and you don't check your confession, what you believe is in vain, you deceive your own heart. Correct? You enter into a realm of deception and you keep believing for 24 years like Abraham and couldn't get anything. Believing is not enough. You activate the law of confession and then with that belief mixed with that saying, it produces a miracle. Alright? Very important. In June 1974, a man of God was preaching a faith seminar in Hickory in North Carolina. He was preaching on the text of Mark 11.23 and he was preaching 
God spoke a prophetic word to the body of Christ. And that word was this. I've told my people that they can have what they say, but they're saying what they have. I've told my people they, that they can have what they say, but they're saying what they have. What do you mean by this? It's simply this. Say what you see, and you see what you get. You say what you see, you see, you'll get all those things that you see. If you see poverty, and you say poverty, oh, I'm full of debt. Look at my, my pile of uh, uh, red bills. My, my clients don't want to pay me back. Look at all those bills, not paid. How can I pay for my house and so on, my car loan? You see all those things. You say what you see. You know what you get? You get what you see. So this morning, you must say what you believe. And guess what you get? You get what you believe. So this morning, do you say what you see? Or do you say what you believe? No wonder you say, this law doesn't work. Because you keep saying what you see. You're walking by sight and not by faith. Amen? There's a verse that I do not want you to turn to because you have too much reference this morning. But I'll say it to you. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 13, he says this. We have the same spirit of faith. How do you have the spirit of faith? Paul continues to say, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 13. We have the same spirit of faith. According as it's written, I believe. Aha, uh-huh, you believe, yes. But let's don't be traditional. I believe and therefore have I spoken. We also believe. Therefore we speak. If you truly believe, something will happen to your mouth. You will say what you believe. Amen? Do you believe by His stripes you are healed this morning? Then say it. Do you believe that He took your curse that you might have His blessing? You believe it? Say it. Say you are blessed. Say I'm healed. Do you believe this morning that He took your sin? On the cross. That you are now the righteousness of God. Then say it. You believe and you say. What you say. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Amen. Say what you believe. Don't say what you see. Don't say what you hear. Oh, recession coming. And you say what you, you, you hear. Say, I'm living in the times of prosperity. Day in and day out. According to Deuteronomy 28. It shall happen to me. Amen. There was a man. By the name of Caleb. After 40 years later, in Joshua chapter 14, verse 12 and verse 14, he says, Give me this mountain! 40 years ago, I told you I want that mountain. What you say is what you get. He said, Give me that mountain. Joshua said, Take it, it's yours. And he said, Take that Hebron, it's yours too. It's your inheritance. What you say, hold on to it, it will be yours one of these days. Amen? So remember, this morning, we're going to change your confession. And I'm going to give a list right now. And you're going to repeat with me the 12 confessions that I have typed out. Not I, through the assistance of Jane. Okay. Hand it out right now. Quickly, quickly. The never again list. Quickly. And then repeat after me. Because if you don't say things properly, you may speak death into your own life. You curse your own fig tree. So this morning, only say life and nothing else. Amen? And uh, there are two books that I will recommend to you this morning from our library. 
This is an excellent book that you should have, you should borrow. I will confess by Lesser Summerall. And the second book is How to Fill Your Heart with Right Abundance by Howard Willard. So get it from the library. But read the first page from this great man of apostolic anointing. He says this. Every day, every second is fraught with possibility. And at the end of one year, we will become the result of our confession. We are what we confess to be. If we confess weakness, we will be weak. If we confess strength, we will be strong. If you want a spiritual and health, happy life, let us confess a spiritual and happy life through our Lord Jesus Christ. So go and get it from the library. I'll, I'll repeat once. Oh, you didn't type up the verse. The verse that has to be typed out actually. Never mind. Okay. So with that in mind, first one, never again will I confess inability. Say it with me. Never again confess inability. Because Philippians chapter 4 verse 13, according to God's word, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. So the word can't is a four letter word. Don't use it. You can Secondly, never again will I confess lack. Say again. Do you believe it? So be a doer. So don't let me hear lack again. Philippians chapter 4 verse 19. According to God's word, my God shall supply all my needs according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. The third one. Never again will I confess fear. Do you believe it? Then walk in boldness. 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 7. God has not given me a spirit of fear, but of love, of power, of sound mind. Amen? Fourthly, never again will I confess doubt. Say it. I'm a, a believer, not a doubter. Romans 12, 3. God has given to every man a measure of faith. You have faith, so you are not in doubt. Amen? Fifthly, never again will I confess weakness. You're not weak. Let the weak say they are strong. So Psalms 27 verse 1, The Lord is the strength of my life. Sixthly, Never again will I confess lacking authority. Oh, that demon is so strong. Oh, Pastor, please help me. Please help me. You have the name of Jesus. 1 John 4, 4, Greater is He that is in you than He that is in the world. Seventhly, Never again will I confess defeat. 2 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 14, God will always cause us to triumph in Christ Jesus. Amen. Never again will I confess foolishness. Pastor, I have a very slow brain. I make foolish mistakes. I make so much mistake. I'm a failure. No! Because 1 Corinthians chapter 1, not verse 13, sorry, it's verse 30, 30. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30 is Christ has made unto us wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. Amen? The ninth statement Never again will I confess sickness. Matthew chapter 8 verse 17 He took my sickness and bare our infirmities The tenth statement of faith is Never again will I confess worry Oh, there's a lot of worriers here Worry about your exam result Worry about your performance And so on 1 Peter 5 7 Cast all your cares Cast all your worries upon Him For He cares for you The eleventh statement of faith Never again will I confess bondage 2 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 17 where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. There's no bondage. 
and the twelfth final statement, never again will I confess condemnation. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Pastor, I don't, I don't want to come to church anymore. I feel so bad. I feel God is angry with me. You know, I feel condemned. No. Believe God's word. Believe what you believe and say only what you believe. And you will have what you believe. Alright? Let's go to God in prayer.